we'll be taking a break in our uh, series in Mark, and tonight we'll be begin in Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1. By way of introduction, I'd like to ask you a really hard question. What is this? What is this? What is it? It's a Bible, or I like pastor's answer, it's even better. This is the Word of God. Now, of course, all of us know what this is called. And uh, being the Thursday night crowd, I think all of us uh, could give a good description of, of what this book contains. And I think we have a decent idea of what it is about. But sad to say, the way many Christians live they seem to have no clue what the Bible actually is. Because if you know what something is, it, it often changes how you view or how you deal with that item. For example, the first time that I visited Mrs. Andrea bef before, she was, before we were married, we were dating. Uh, and so it was the first time I met her family. Uh, and so... They were not too bad, but they were giving me a hard time. You know, I had to prove myself. And so that first trip there, I'm, I'm sipping on some coffee, really enjoying myself. And I don't know at what point I found out, uh, but the, the mug I chose happened to be one of her sister's special mugs. And she was mortified that I was using it. And so once I discovered that that was her mug, uh, I, didn't, I didn't use it anymore, and I would be much more careful in my selection of mugs at their house. Once I found out that there were some special ones. Uh, you, some of you have seen, or I've mentioned, the iPad commercial back when the iPad was really just coming out. And uh, there's this grandpa who's gifted an iPad. And uh, what is he using it for? He's using it as a cutting board. Because he doesn't know it's some fancy electronic. It just looks like a cutting board to him. So if you don't know what something really is, you might use it improperly or have the wrong viewing, view of it. Uh, how, uh, knowing what something is will affect how we treat it. And often the way Christians treat the Bible reveals that they don't really know or they don't really care what it truly is. And so tonight we're seeking to answer that simple question, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? And uh, we'll give a, a, a summary statement uh, to begin. The Bible is the Word of God, as Pastor put it. The Bible is the Word of God put down in writing and preserved for every generation. The Bible is the Word of God put down in writing, preserved for every generation. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, you don't have to turn there, it's a familiar passage. But there the Bible says, all Scripture, and Scripture means the sacred writings, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And you know that inspiration, that means God breathed. And so all the writings of this book are God-breathed. Now, we don't really think about it often. We take it for granted. But words are formed as air passes through our voice box or the technical term, the larynx. And then it goes through our vocal cords. And then 
based on how we move our jaw and our lips and our tongue, words are formed. But if no air is, is coming through there, uh, you're not going to be able to make a sound. You're not going to be able to speak. And so that's why the Bible refers to God speaking or His Word as it being God-breathed. It's straight from the mouth of God. And when we form words, they are, originate in our minds. So we form thoughts in our minds, and then we breathe out this air, and it comes forth as words. That's what's trying to be communicated there in 2 Timothy 3.16, that these aren't just mere uh, general ideas of God or general concepts that he gave to man and said, hey, you write it down how you see fit. No, this is straight from the mind and mouth of God. It's God-breathed. And uh, in the New Testament, when they use that word scripture, they're normally referring to the Old Testament. But we know that the writings of the apostles are also counted as scripture based on what is written in 2 Peter 3.16. You don't have to turn there. but You can jot it down. 2 Peter 3.16. There... Uh, Peter equates Paul's writings with the Scriptures. And uh, in John 16, verses 12 through 15, uh, there the Lord Jesus promises that all the things that disciples couldn't handle then, right then, uh, that night, the Holy Spirit would later communicate to them. And that's really the Lord Jesus' promise of the, the writing of the New Testament canon. And, you know, we could go into a lot more detail and talk about how the canon was settled on, uh, but uh, we don't have time for that this evening. But if you, and, and we, we shouldn't be so naive to think that no one in this room has ever had doubts about this, if you're having any doubts about whether this book right here is the very Word of God, uh, there are answers, and uh, you don't have to remain in doubt, and I would really encourage you, I've got a couple copies of this, and I could print a lot more. Uh, this is a phenomenal piece of writing, 10 Reasons Why I Believe the Bible is the Word of God. This was written by R.A. Torrey. And one reason why this is so powerful, it's written by a man who drunk from a well of skepticism, who was influenced by the greatest scholars of the day who, who attacked the Word of God, and he himself for some time did not believe, and even as an ordained minister preached that the Bible was not the inerrant Word of God. And yet he, after diligent study and prayer came to the firm conclusion, the Bible really is the Word of God, and I have no reason to doubt it. And he put it down in ten irrefutable reasons. And so if you are struggling at all with that, uh, there's no reason to keep struggling. Uh, there is proof, and this is a great place to start. And one thing I will say, uh, the final decision that people make as to whether this is really the Word of God isn't a head matter. It's a heart matter. And people reject the veracity and the inerrancy of God's Word because they don't want to believe it. And they don't want to obey it. And so if you're having that struggle and it's not getting settled and you're getting the right teaching on it and you're struggling to accept that it's the Word of God, in the end, when it's all said and done, it's not a matter of intellect. Uh, it's a matter of the heart, not wanting to be yielded to God. Uh, we could park there for a while, but... Uh, I would encourage you to check out that resource. So these are the very words of God, and they've been preserved for every generation. I love Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And Mrs. Mackay's favorite verse, 
Isaiah 48, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God, as we sang earlier tonight, shall stand forever. God isn't so careless of a God that he would go to all the trouble of writing such a book and then not take care of it. Or, or let it be mishandled or changed through time. He has preserved His Word. And again, we don't have time to get into it tonight, but if, uh, if you want, we've got lots of reading in the office. Uh, you can go to town reading about uh, how the Bible has been preserved and how we know that the King James Version is trustworthy. And so, got lots of books for you as well. And uh, I just want to show you that, that there's no reason to live in a state of doubt. Uh, because men that are smarter than most of us here have spent years of their life studying and researching and have put down for us evidences. We know that what we hold in our hand right here is the Word of God, preserved to every generation. I'm so thankful for that. So this book, it's the Word of God. Uh, but let's get a little more specific tonight. And if you're taking notes, number one, the Word of God is... The source of life. The source of life. And before we look here in Genesis 1, let's pray once more ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, as we approach Your Word, we are so feeble and finite, and we often struggle to grasp these concepts or to articulate them. But we thank You that You've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth and to teach us all things. And so... We really want to turn things over to Him and ask that He would work mightily in our midst this evening. And Father, I pray that You would stir up within all of us a greater appreciation, a greater love, a greater passion to read and study Your Word tonight. Would You please do that in our midst? And Father, I pray that You'd work in all of our hearts, that we would commit to spending time in Your Word every day in 2024. Oh, please speak to us now. Please guide my tongue to speak clearly. Please minister to the hearts of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Word of God is the source of life. You can jot down a reference, Hebrews 11.3. The worlds were framed by the Word of God. Uh, how did God create everything that is ex nihilo, or out of nothing, just with His Word? And that's why here in Genesis chapter 1, the first creative act in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then what we want to focus on here is uh, verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And he goes on. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Then in Genesis chapter 2, we read more details about that creative act. Read verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living Soul. I find it interesting. I was listening to a book uh, on the body by a secular scientist, someone who believes in evolution. And one of the most astounding parts of the book is he talks about uh, when you really compile all the different things 
of which our bodies are made, it's the same components as a pile of dirt. And then another statement he made is that as scientists really don't understand where consciousness comes from or where life begins. And so he was making multiple statements in that book that are explained right here. That we were the dust of the ground. God formed us and he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. He gave us the gift of consciousness. He gave us the ability to live by his very own breath. And I love Job 33 verse 4. The Spirit of God hath made me. And there's a play on words here because the Hebrew word for spirit is the same as breath or wind. So the Spirit of God hath made me and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. You know why you're sitting here tonight breathing? And why you're enjoying the gift of life? Because God gave it to you. And every second of your existence, He sustains that life by His very own breath. And any moment, no matter how young, no matter how fit anyone in here might seem, at any moment, at the snap of a finger, God could take our breath away. His Word, His breath... It's the source of life. Sounds a lot like in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, the Scriptures were God-breathed. And so were we. We were brought about by the very breath of God. Now, what God did here with Adam physically is a great picture of what happened to us spiritually when we were born again. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 50, Thy word hath quickened me, or it has given me life. And then in Ephesians 2 verse 1, we see that same word, and you hath he quickened, or been, been made to live, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so, for us, we weren't created quite like Adam and Eve. We got our life uh, from our parents and it's been passed down ever since that first creative act of God. And so when we were given life spiritually, God uses that picture of birth. And that's why in James 1 verse 18, the Bible says, Of His own will begat He us with what? With the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. And then in 1 Peter 1 verse 23, we read this same idea that the Word of God is what has given us new life. The Word of God is what has uh, given us the new birth and caused us to be born again. 1 Peter 1.23 Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God which liveth and abideth forever. If it were not for this book which we hold in our hands tonight, none of us would be born again. None of us would have the Holy Spirit living inside us. None of us would be part of God's family. Every single one of us would still be dead in trespasses and sin had God's Word not entered our lives and given us life. But how did we receive this life? We received it by faith. We received it by believing what God said. If you're struggling with your salvation or with, with doubts about it, this is a uh, a, a great uh, passage we'll look at later. Not this one. I got ahead of myself. But John 5, verse 24. 
The Lord Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Oh, this definitely helps. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You notice that? He says, Whoso heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. So he's saying, believing on him that sent me into the world to live a perfect life on your behalf, to die on the cross for your sins, to rise again, if you'll hear my word and believe on him that sent me, you have everlasting life. But it all begins with the word of God. Now, the word of God comes into our, into our lives and gives us life. It's a means whereby we can hear of the Lord Jesus, believe on his name, and be born again. But we need to ask a, a question before moving on. What is life? What is life? This gift that God has given us. Well, for Adam and Eve, I mean, they're the prototype. They, they, they show us what God intended life to be, humans to enjoy. And for them, when they became living souls, they immediately entered into this abundant relationship with their Creator and got to live as His children, made in His image. They got to rule the earth on His behalf and really just enjoy God. Christian, that is life. That is life. Knowing God and living out your created purpose. Or as the Westminster Catechism puts it, and no, we're not uh, reformers or uh, Protestants, but this is such a great statement. The chief end of man. Or you could say the definition of life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what it means to be alive. To know God. To glorify Him. To serve Him. To live out His purposes. And this book right here is what gives us that life. The Lord Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This book right here is the only source of true life. It's the only source of a life worth living for. The people in our city that are living every day to just pay the bills, living every day to just enjoy the weekend, living every day to secure a good retirement, that is not Living. That is wasting these few moments on earth before an eternal death separated from God. Life is to know God and enjoy Him. And that is why it is so critical, Christian, that we get the Word out. Because this is the only thing that can give people life and rescue them from a life apart from God. If you want to think about it like this, the Word of God is like oxygen. You can't function very long without oxygen. And we are surrounded by people who don't have long to live. The clock is ticking. The Lord Jesus is returning any moment. And for us to withhold the Word of God or to keep our lips shut about Christ is like withholding an oxygen tank from someone who desperately needs it. This Word of God is the source of life. Number two this evening. It is the sustainer of life. 
the sustainer of life. Here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. So we really see the idea here that by God's word, He's blessing them. And then in chapter 2, verse 9, the Bible says, Out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then look at verse 16. And the Lord commanded, or He spoke to the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. You see what's happening here? God has given human beings life by His very own Word. And then He's created this world for them to enjoy by His Word. And then He has told them by His Word, Look, I've created all of this for you to enjoy, and I've given you the tree of life. Eat and live and enjoy Me. This tree right here, don't eat of it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he put before them the choice that by simply believing and obeying his word, they could continue to enjoy life. But they still needed to eat of the tree of, the, of, the tree of life. They still needed to eat of the trees of the garden on a daily basis to sustain that life that God had given them. It was quite simple. Obey my word and enjoy life. And Christian, God's methods have not changed. He has given us life with this book. And then He's outlined the terms whereby we can enjoy that life in His Word. And every one of us is faced with a choice to simply believe and obey what God says and enjoy His life or to reject it and embrace death. This book right here is the only thing that can sustain our spiritual life, our relationship with God. That is why the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What is he saying? You can't live just by physical bread, because that's not living. You've got to have my word. Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And Jesus said in John chapter 6, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Let me ask you, how many of you ate today before coming to church? How many of you ate today? I believe every hand is raised. And if not, I'm sure you'll eat within the next couple days. Unless you're on a 40-day fast. And please let us know so we can pray for you. We all ate today. Why? Because we want to live. Oh, sure, you can go a couple days. You, you might be able to survive a week or, or two. But you go too long without food and you'll die. A famous YouTuber uh, from YouTube, and many of you have probably heard, uh, earlier this year was arrested uh, on, account, on charges of child abuse because her 12-year-old boy ran away from home to a neighbor desperately asking for food and water. And his story is believable because on our YouTube channel, 
Uh, she would repeatedly threaten her children uh, to withhold their food if they disobeyed. One of her children forgot her lunch at home. She, she refused to take it to her. Teach you a lesson. Okay? This, this lady was crazy. And no one in this room would disagree that to withhold food from a child when it is in your power to feed them, no one would disagree about that being child abuse. No one. And yet how many Christian parents neglect to feed their children the Word of God on a daily basis? And if the Lord Jesus Himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, if in the scope of eternity, this book is more important than our, than our daily food, or as Job put it in Job 23, verse 12, I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. If this is more important than the physical bread we eat, could we not say that it is spiritual child abuse to neglect to feed this to our children? There is nothing more important in the life of anyone in this room than feeding on the Word of God every single day. Every day. And if we're going to go to the trouble of feeding and clothing and providing education for our young people, why don't we prioritize what is most important, the Word of God, and in 2024, do everything in our power for every young person at Metro Baptist Church to be fed the Word of God every single day. And Christian, don't think that just because you're older that you need God's Word any less. This is the only thing that can sustain our spiritual life. And so if you're not feeding on God's Word daily, you are choosing death. You're choosing death. It's that simple. This is not only the source of life, but also the sustainer of life. But then number three, we'll close with this. The Word of God is the simplifier of life. There may be some here this evening who say, Pastor Tyler, it's not that simple. Adam and Eve, it was really clear cut, you know. Perfect environment, just obey God, eat the fruit. One tree you got to avoid. It's not that simple anymore, Pastor Tyler. There's a lot more rules we got to try to keep. There's a lot more problems we got to try to solve. It's not that simple. And I would agree with you. Because the entrance of sin into the world has brought confusion. It has messed things up. But let me remind you that God's Word brings clarity and simplicity in the midst of chaos. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, 1 Corinthians 14.33, and it's in the, contents of, the context of how the church should function, and he's dealing with tongues and these different things, but it's a very clear-cut statement about our God. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. 
And notice this, as in all churches of the saints. And my heart breaks for so many Christians in our world who are living in a state of confusion when God is not the author of confusion. And when we are offered and when we have available to us what Paul described in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 as the simplicity that is in Christ. You know what I love about this book? I began reading this book daily, or at least uh, some kind of paraphrase of it. I forget what it was called, but my parents gave me a devotional booklet. And, and just to be clear, it wasn't just me. It was, it was all of my siblings that they had reading the Bible. Brother Austin, Miss Aaron, Miss Adriana, all of us were reading the Bible. And it started out with a devotional book, but I don't know if it was seven or eight years old, we began reading the Word of God. And you know what? At that early age, I could understand a lot of what this said. Because it's simple. It's written to the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl. And when we take 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, and just believe it, that all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, teaching us what's right, reproof, teaching us what's not right, for correction, teaching us how to get things right, and for instruction in righteousness, telling us how to live right, that the man of God may be perfect, or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. When I read that, what that tells me is that my life can be complete by this book. That I don't have to be confused. That I don't have to wander. That I can be truly furnished unto all good works. And of course, we won't be entirely perfect until heaven. But we can sure get a lot like the Lord Jesus until then. And we can sure live with a confidence and with a simplicity and with a certainty because of this book. A few ways that it simplifies our life and we'll close. The, the Bible is referred to as a light. Psalm 119, 105, very familiar. Proverbs 623, 6.23, the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. And reproves of instruction are the way of life. When it's dark in the middle of the night, these rooms that you walk down every day of your life suddenly become difficult to maneuver through. Why? Because it's dark. But you turn on a light, and that difficult task of getting to the washroom becomes a whole lot easier. This book lights our way and shows us the way of life, shows us how to live a life in accordance with God's design for us. It's a light. 1 John verse 1, wonderful verses about walking in the light. This word is also a mirror. It's a mirror. It shows us what's wrong with us. Because, yes, we can see everything going on in our world around us that's wrong and we want to fix all of it, but we can't control other people. But we can certainly work on ourselves. And so every day when we look into this book, it tells us what we need to fix. Now, Christian, when you wake up in the morning and you look at that mirror for the first time, I don't think most of us have this kind of attitude. I don't think most of us approach the mirror and say, wow, look how good you look this morning. Man, sleep looks good on you. Is that the way we approach the mirror? No, we say, man, that was a rough night. <laughs> look at that hair. And then we do something about it. You know, a lot of people that are approaching God's Word on a daily basis looking for it to pat them on the back. 
looking for that little word of encouragement, that little pep talk to get me throughout the day. But don't you tell me that there's anything wrong in my life that I need to fix. In James chapter 1, you've read the passage. I don't need to read it. We don't have time. But the Bible is a mirror. And when we open it every day, we need to ask the Lord, show me what's wrong. Show me where I need to change. And this very morning, as I was reading through 1 Timothy, there was a verse that hit me straight between the eyes. And I had to apologize to someone for sinning against them because God's Word exposed something that was wrong. It's a mirror. And it's also a spiritual x-ray machine. Also paired with a scalpel. I love Hebrews 4 verse 12. The Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And this is key. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Christian, you've got to understand, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You and I don't know how wicked and sinful our hearts really are. We don't even understand entirely what's going on inside us. But this book does. And it exposes what's going on on the inside like an x-ray machine. And then it comes with a scalpel to do surgery. If you've ever had surgery, it's not fun. It's painful. Ask Pastor Arbo. But it's worth it. I'm sure Pastor Arvo, he's gone through excruciating pain because of this surgery, but he's going to have a knee that's completely well. And better to go through the pain on a daily basis of letting the Word of God expose what's wrong and get it fixed. Better to cut off your hand and enter into life maimed than having two hands and cast into hellfire like the Lord Jesus said. Oh, how this book simplifies our life by showing us what's really wrong and showing us how to get it right. In conclusion tonight, can anyone tell me what the word Bible means? What does it mean? Anyone? Book! That's what it means! Book! Now does a book do you any good if you don't read it? Hardly. And this was never meant to be a decoration. This was never meant to be something we just tuck under our arm. This was meant to be read. It's a love letter from our God telling us all of His plans, all of the ways that we can enjoy abundant life in Him. So let me beg you, let me urge you, read it! Read it! It's the greatest treasure that we could ever hold in our hands. And, and God's not opening. Yes, He will expose our sin and show us ways that need to be worked on. But can I tell you from experience that when we open this, the, the best thing about it is that God gets to tell us day after day after day in a myriad of ways, I love you. And I have plans for you far better than anything that you could imagine. And I want you to enjoy the life that I've designed for you. And when He exposes our sin, it's only because He loves us and He has something better for us. Oh, that we would read this book. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for speaking to us tonight. Oh, we thank You for Your precious Word.
Oh, Lord, help us to commit ourselves to spending time in your word every single day this year, we pray in Jesus' name.